How much do you really know your friends, your co-workers, your community, or your country even? The fact is that much of what we think we know about the people around us is likely to be skewed, mostly because people tend to lie. We lie in conversation, on social media, even in surveys. But there exists an online trove of data that allows us to paint a much more accurate picture of who we really are. That's the argument of US data scientist Seth Stevens Davidovitz, author of the book Everybody Lies. Stevens Davidovitz says he uses data from the internet, what he calls the traces of information that billions of people leave on Google, social media, dating, and even pornography sites to tell us the surprising and sometimes disturbing truth about who we really are. Seth Stevens Davidovitz sat down with David Tuffley, a senior lecturer in applied ethics and socio-technical studies at Griffith University, to talk about what he learned. Seth, I've been uh, reading your book, uh, Everybody Lies, and uh, an intriguing thought comes to me as to why people would lie in the first place. We know that they do, you've demonstrated it, but why do they? Well, sometimes lying, I think, is a good thing. Your wife asks you, how do I look? And she doesn't look spectacular. I think the right answer is usually you look great. Uh, so I think so some lying is to preserve social relations and to not constantly be causing people pain. I think we also lie just to impress other people. Uh, we want to portray a certain image of ourselves that we think will make other people think highly of us. If we lie to um, enhance our, our perception in others, why do you think it is that uh, people tend to be so inclined to uh, be open when they're inter interacting with technology? Why do they Google what they really think? So I think there are a few reasons people are so honest to Google. One, you're by yourself. It's anonymous. You're not broadcasting. If you search for sexless marriage, you're not broadcasting to the world, I'm in a sexless marriage. You're only telling this little white box on Google. Uh, I think another reason people are so honest to Google is you have an incentive to tell the truth, to get the information you need. So if you are in a sexless marriage, you have an incentive to tell Google that because they may give you advice on how to change that. And then there's a bizarre segment of Google searches that is one of the more surprising things in my research. So we expect that people use Google to ask questions, to get information. They say things like, uh, what's the weather? What's the recipe for apple pie? That is a totally sensible use of Google. But it turns out a surprising number of searches are not questions, they're sentences. People type, I am sad, or I am lonely, or I just turned 40. And it's like, why are you telling Google that? There's no obvious thing that Google can do in this situation to help you. Uh, I think that honesty, my theory, although I'm not totally sure, is that people are such in the habit of telling their secrets to Google that they treat it almost as Catholics treat the confessional box, uh, where there's something really comforting about uh, telling your your secrets to someone, or in this case, something, uh, that, that little white box. So it's thinking about Google as a confidant. Um, and I suppose with uh, Google Assistant, say, for example, people will start to confide perhaps a little bit more in uh, that technology that they can have something like a, a conversation with, or they can interact with it and have a relationship with it. Do you see that sort of thing uh, c coming along? I'm not totally sure. I think it really 
I think something about Google, the, the search engine makes people really honest. There are other sources now where you can go for information. Alexa is one of them. So you speak to Alexa and you ask for information. And my feeling, though I don't know because Alexa doesn't give their data, is that people are less honest to Alexa. When you speak, uh, when you open your mouth, I think you're less honest than when you type. People have told me that they are polite to Alexa, so they always use words like please, even though you don't need to impress Alexa, right? It's a machine, it's not a human being. You don't gain anything from Alexa thinking you're polite. Uh, but I think for whatever reason, uh, people don't feel comfortable being their true, sometimes rude, sometimes obnoxious, uh, sometimes nasty selves uh, to Alexa. So, so, so some internet sources don't uh, get people to confide in the way that Google does. Yeah, I can really see the direction that things are going here. I think that people generally are going to be uh, relying more and more on the technology generally and less and less on other people uh, to find out information about life, about how to live, solve their problems, that type of thing. Do you see that coming along, the, uh, the way that people will rely on technology more? Oh, definitely. I think that's clearly happening and uh, it has its positives and negatives. And I do wonder if we're becoming less honest to each other just because there's no need, you know, there's no need to tell other people your secrets or your concerns or your worries if you're getting all your advice from Google and other sources. Uh, but I think, yeah, it's only going to get more pronounced, our reliance on technology. And I think another thing that's going to start happening, kind of as you mentioned, Google Assistant, is that technology is going to intervene before we even have questions. So it's going to tell us things that are good for us, even without our thinking that it's good that it's good for us. So I talk about one study in my book about pancreatic cancer, where uh, computer scientists have actually found you can diagnose using search queries. You can improve diagnosis of pancreatic cancer earlier, basically by looking at the symptoms people search, the patterns of symptoms. And there are really subtle patterns in the, in the symptoms if people search. Uh, indigestion followed by abdominal pain, that's a sign of pancreatic cancer. If you search abdominal pain followed by indigestion or abdominal pain by itself or indigestion by itself, not, those aren't signs of pancreatic cancer. Uh, so that's really powerful. And you could imagine that search engines would actually uh, tell people of possible diseases. We, we, now we think of, we tell search engines concerns we have or possible diseases we think we might have and then ask the search engine uh, for advice. I think I have, I have pancreatic cancer. Uh, I have these symptoms, what should I be doing? It may be that search engines will in the future tell us about diseases uh, without our even thinking about it. We, we might think it, uh, certain symptoms are totally innocuous and search engines may know uh, they actually are signs of some sort of trouble. Yeah. I'm very curious to, to know what you think about um, how you see the future of people interacting with the technology and how they will use it and what are some of the scenarios that they will use it for? Well, there's going to be so many changes uh, with technology. Certainly, uh, you know, cars are going to be driving themselves pretty short shortly, and we're going to have assistance and tech. And uh, Google is going to be able to make our phone calls to make reservations at restaurants without our having to do anything. So there are all kinds of changes coming. They're going to be able to. Uh, they're ready. You're ready. Have robots that can clean our apartments, and that's going to get more powerful. We may have robots that can make our meals, uh, but. I do think the really interesting change, one of the really interesting changes is intervening, telling us of problems that we're not aware of. I've kind of been doing a lot of research on this. I have a data set, not from Google, of people's individual search queries. And I, one of the theory, my theories of life is people sometimes don't know how messed up they are. Like you can be really, really messed up in life and not aware that it's a problem or think it's totally normal. So there are people 
whose almost all entire waking hours are devoted to looking at for disturbing information online. Like they'll look for beheading videos or nasty pictures of car accidents just all day. It's clearly, I mean, I'm not a psychi psychiatrist, but I know that that's, I'm pretty sure that's a mental illness, something related to obsessive compulsive disorder uh, with a particular emphasis on uh, disturbing thoughts. I've, I've looked at a bunch of these people and almost none of them also search for psychiatrist or signs of OCD. They're just seemingly oblivious that this is not normal behavior, that this is a major life problem. So an obvious thing that could happen is Google or other search engines could inform people doing this over and over again. You know, you really need to see a psychiatrist. So the one issue that raises is Google is a profit-making enterprise. It might be good for the patient uh, to be told that he or she has a problem. It may not be good for Google's bottom line to be in the business of telling people they have problems because sometimes you tell someone they have a problem, they don't want to talk to you anymore. They, p human beings have that problem as well, right? You don't, sometimes you don't tell your friends that there's something wrong with them because you fear with some decent reason that if you tell them there's something wrong with you, they're going to say, okay, I don't want to be friends with you anymore. So you could imagine that if Google starts telling people you might have pancreatic cancer or you seem to be showing signs of OCD, people will just start using a different search engine uh, and get really defensive. So uh, it raises interesting questions. I guess one thing that a lot of people are curious about is um, the whole area of privacy. Very touchy area and quite rightly so. I think a lot of people would be pretty surprised at how much information about themselves is out there and probably more so about what could be made of it. And big data and data science is really making some interesting advances there and you're at the forefront of that. So what would you say to people who are worried about um, those privacy issues? It's a concern, definitely. There are a couple issues. Uh, they kind of get lumped together in privacy, but there's one, for example, that your data might be leaked. So I don't think anybody wants their Google search queries or information on the websites they visit to be broadcast to the world. Uh, we treat that as a confessional and we comfortably tell Google of health problems or insecurities or difficulties in our marriage that we don't want broadcast to the world. And I think I'm pretty sure you're secrets are about as safe with Google as with anyone because Google is a multi-hundred billion dollar business who hires some of the best uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence and cryptographers in the world, uh, making sure that your privacy is protected. Google might go out of business if they had major data leaks. So that's, so that's kind of one privacy issue. I think related to leaks, you have to be almost w more wary when you're dealing with smaller websites. So Ashley Madison a few years ago, which was a site where people could sign on to cheat on their spouses, uh, was a smaller business that couldn't devote the resources that Google can to protecting user privacy and elite and the names of members, names and email addresses of members of Ashley Madison uh, famously leaked. The other issues with privacy are, forget about a leak, we don't want companies to use our information to harm us. So there are examples where sometimes companies know, can figure out what we're gonna do uh, based on things we do on the internet. There's, I think data, uh, some data scientists have found you can actually figure out whether someone's drunk based on their mouse movements. And you could imagine a shopping site hires machine learn learning experts and say, figure out who's drunk and raise the price because if someone's drunk, they're gonna say, yeah, sure, I'll buy the, the, the what, what's this, t-shirt, yeah, like new, uh, new bracelet for my wife, sure, 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 I'll pay, you know, 3,000 bucks for that. 
uh, and that obviously would be problematic. And I think the answer to that is some sort of regulation uh, to prevent corporations from harming consumers, which we already, we already have some regulation. You're not allowed to charge different consumers different prices for the same products. Uh, and I think that's more important in the internet because as data science gets better, companies will be even better at finding out exactly how much you're willing to spend and extracting that money from you. Is, is there potential, do you think, for people to game the whole big data science um, uh, field? Is there ways to sort of fool data scientists? It's, it's, it's a possible issue. So one, corporations have long been trying to game Google because they want to get their websites higher. So they'll, they have an incentive to have bots that just make the same search over and over again and click on their company's websites so that Google's formula will make their company's website go higher. Google, again, tends to hire the best people to fight this and to figure out that a search is a bot and not, not count that in their system. And I think there will probably be, always be less gaming of Google searches than of surveys because of the incentive thing. So you still, surveys can't give you an incentive to tell the truth. But Google, for the rest of human history, uh, will be giving people an incentive to tell them what's really on their minds. So given the, uh, the great insight that you can get from data science, some people are going to use that for not so ethical purposes, influencing elections and things like that. What do you see uh, as the dangers with that sort of improper use of data science? One thing to keep in mind is politicians have always been trying to influence voters. What do you think advertisement is, right? There, it's, it's long been known that politicians use commercials to scare voters uh, into supporting them or to uh, trick them into not turning out to vote if they think they're going to uh, support the opposing party. So I don't think this problem is entirely new. It may become a little worse uh, with data science. Another thing to keep in mind is both parties have access to the tools. So it's not like one party is going to be able to dominate the other by using data science to some degree it'll even out and be a wash but i i do take the point that i am very concerned with uh, what companies can do using this data i talk about my book an example that casinos in las vegas try to use data science to figure out exactly how much players are willing to lose they're basically uh, trying to analyze from everything they've done and from looking at players that are similar to them this person would be willing to lose just about five thousand bucks before they'd walk away and once they have that information you're screwed <laughs> you're basically going to lose your 5,000 bucks. And if they didn't have that information, maybe you would have only lost 1,000 bucks or 2,000 bucks. There are dangers to this. Data science makes companies more powerful. Capitalism is, I think, mostly a good thing, but it obviously has its downsides. And there are certainly corporations that take advantage of quirks in the human brain to get people to do things that aren't good for them. And can that become uh, more powerful thanks to uh, big data, machine learning, and artificial intelligence? Yes, definitely. Look, it's, uh, it's clearly a very powerful technology and one that I'm personally very optimistic about. I think society has always managed to adjust, you know, adapt to the dangers and the benefits of any technology that comes along. So, look, it's been fascinating uh, talking to you about this and uh, we wish you well for the rest of your tour. Oh, thank, you. thank you so much for having me. Seth Stevens davidovitz is in Australia to speak at the Festival of Dangerous Ideas. This episode of Speaking With was recorded by Michael Lund and edited by me, Dilpreet Kaur. Thank you so much for listening.